Okay, we're going to have uh, two Bible readings today, but we'll just start with one now, and then I'll read the other one a little bit later. So the first reading that we're going to do is Joshua 13, verses 1 to 7, and that's on page 225 of the Blue Bibles, but it'll also be on the screen behind me. When Joshua had grown old, the Lord said to him, You are now very old, and there are still very large areas of land to be taken over. This is the land that remains, all the regions of the Philistines and Gerashites, from the Shihor River on the east of Egypt to the territory of Ekron on the north. All of it counted as Canaanite, although held by five Philistine rulers in Gaza, Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gath and Ekron, the territories of the Avites. On the south, all the land of the Canaanites, from Arar of the Sidonians as far as Apek, and the border of the Amorites, the heir of the Byblos, and all Lebanon to the east, from Baal-Gad, below Mount Hermon, to Lebo Hamath. As for all the inhabitants of the mountain regions from Leb- Lebanon to Mesherothoth, Mayam, this is the, all the Sidonians, I myself will drive them out before the Israelites. Be sure to allocate this land to Israel for, all in, for an inheritance, as I have instructed you, and divide it as an inheritance among the nine tribes and the half of the tribe of Manasseh. It's a, it's a great to be able to continue to look at Joshua with you and to help make sense of uh, a whole lot of words that kind of seem like we want to glaze over them. But what you'll see today is these words bring great joy and excitement. Well, at least that's my goal, and I'm going to have a crack at trying to show you that today. So let me pray, and then we're going to do that. And before I pray, uh, we'll have a Q&A today. If you want to ask anything about all the uh, oddities, the challenges, the strangeness of Joshua and the things that disturb us, feel free to ask. Or if you want to ask anything about um, what's going on for us at Grove and our move, please feel free to do that in our question time. And that will be fine. You can text my phone if you'd prefer to do that as well. My number's in the booklet. Uh, as well. Now, the book of Joshua, just to let you know, and if you're here today for the first time, warm welcome. And if you've never read Joshua before, it's a, despite what we just read, it's an action-packed book. It's full of amazing stories of what God has done and how he's going to rescue, uh, take his people into um, the land of Canaan. And it's going to be the Israelites' land. There's many, there's much tension. There's disturbing bloodshed. There's fantastical battles. There's suns standing still. There's walls falling down. There's all sorts of drama in which we find out God is for His people. But then we get to chapter 13 after the people are in the land that's been promised to them, and it kind of gets a little bit dull. And for the rest of the the, the next like nine or so chapters. It kind of is a bit, well, let me read to you chapter 14. Now, these are the areas the Israelites received as an inheritance in the land of Canaan, which Eliezer, the priest, Joshua, son of Nun, and the heads of the tribal clans of Israel allotted to them. That was exciting. Chapter 15, the allotment for the tribe of Judah according to its clans. And then there's a long list of allotments. Chapter 16, allotments for Joseph. And we go on and on. And we're just finding out, we're being told that groups of people are being given some land. And I can see you're already glazing over. Like, what are we doing? Why we, can't we just miss this part of the Bible? Well, to the Israelites though, 
This is kind of spectacular. It's a little bit like, um, if we can understand what I'm going to put on the screen and, 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 uh, and from a perspective. Now, if you know what these stats are, don't yell it out. Just put up your hand if you know what this is. Does anyone know what those are? Yeah, yeah. We spoke about it, so you don't count. Can anyone put up their hand and know what these stats are? Particularly the 99.94. Does anyone know? I've got a hand over there. I've got a hand over there. It is Bradman's test average, 99.94. That is a significant number. That is Don Bradman, the greatest cricketer of all time. His test average was 99. No one's got near it. If you love cricket, you love those statistics. There was a whole TV show as a kid. Gary Sweet was Don Bradman. Anyone see the Bodyline series? It was a great series and, and it was fantastic. And part of it was, will he get that final innings? Will he get enough runs? And it wasn't many he needed. It's like four or eight or something, uh, to get a hundred average. And he got out. It ma- he is the greatest batsman of all time. Everyone loves him. But for many of you, you're going, why have I come this morning? I don't like sport. I especially hate cricket, and you're glazing over it, right? Now, let me give you another stat. There's at least one person in the room other than me. This is a personal one for me. There's one person, at least one person in the room that should love this stat. Let me give you another one. Does anyone know what this is? Correct, Tim. You didn't let me down. That was the one time in 2004 my rugby league team won the grand final, and I was there. Those numbers mean a lot to me. 16-13, what a victory. It was just such a long time ago now. So there, that was, that, that stat matters to me. But many of you, so long ago. So long ago. But many of you don't, those of you who like sport, don't even like rugby league because we're in South Australia. And many of you don't like that. You don't care at all. What we need to do today is we need to see that we need to go from being, well, glazing over statistics because they mean nothing to us, to seeing that actually the Israelites regard all those chapters like I see that number right there, with great excitement and with great joy. That they care about cricket, or I care about cricket as much as they care about the land. I don't think they played back then. You see, what matters to them is what God has done for them. Why? It's coming, people. We've been doing this for a few weeks. If you haven't been here, I've been trying to convince people of why it matters by one word, and that word is? Love. Ah, beautiful. Lob. Thank you. Someone even yelled it out then with passion. That's great. Lob matters. Lob really matters because God's people have these words, and it's because of... You see on the, on the screen there, um, oh, I, I missed the, oh, can we just go to the map? Sorry, I must have put it in the wrong order. Um, the map there, God's people were in slavery. They were down in Egypt and God had made a promise to Abraham. And his promise to Abraham was, you're going to have a great land. And the land is going to be where I dwell with you. And you're going to love this land. This land is going to be where you and I dwell and I'm going to give it to you. Now, if that's the promise you've been hoping on, the L of lob, and they're going to be O because there's going to be many, many of them, great offspring, and they're going to be blessed, and they're going to be blessings to the nations. If you have this promise, 
when you get into the promised land in all the action that we've seen already, and then you get these words that to us, we just want to glaze over and go, wow, these words become super special. Because it's how God is revealing the promises that he made. That he is giving them the land, and this is where they are. Now, if we call a spade a spade, <laughs> let's, uh, let's be honest, it's still kind of a hard read, right? But what it does is it points us to an inheritance, to our land. And that's where I want us to move today. To see that the land that they were given is actually pointing us to God giving his people a land for all eternity. We're going to go uh, there a little bit later in more detail. And if you've got your Bible open, it'll be helpful to see 1 Peter a bit later. But let me just kind of give away where my talk's finishing in 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, I don't know if I've marked that. Oh, no, it's on the screen. Excellent. Thank you, Naomi. We read Peter talking about inheritance and, and where you belong. And he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This is, inheritance is kept in heaven for you. See, we should be passionate about the land that we belong to, the new creation. And whether you've ever given that any thought before or whether it's something that's in the back of your mind, that's where we're focusing today. And the words in Joshua, as we pick up a little bit of what he says in these chapters, will challenge us to think about more and more what... Uh, what we need to do when it comes to responding to God and the promises he's made. Now, in this story, and you've got the outline there, you see, so I've got it uh, summarises what happens in this story. Well, I've already said that the land's divided up into all manner of different uh, sections. Uh, the different tribes of Israel are give, given the land. Jacob's sons, they, they're, they're the tribes and the land's broken up for them. And so there's this great joy. But within this joy, the job's not quite done yet. Uh, have chapter 13 uh, open in front of you that uh, Kat's already read for us, which is very helpful. We see Joshua says, oh, first sorry, the Lord says uh, when Joshua was old. When Joshua had grown old, the Lord said to him, you are now very old and there are still very large areas of land to be taken over. This is the land that remains. And he goes on and describes all the land that they haven't taken yet. And then he goes on to say um, in verse 6, As for all the inhabitants of the mountain regions from Lebanon to Misrapoth Mame, that is, all the Sidonians, I myself will drive them out before the Israelites. All the way through, God has been the one doing it. He has been the one going before his people. And here we are again, and he's saying... Press on. There's more work to be done. Yeah, okay, you're in the land. Amazing things have happened. But it's not all done yet. Keep going. There are other nations still around. See, the people are in some ways to be content, but kind of have this good, kind of godly discontent because the job's not finished. And so the people are to have joy now 
but not just rest with what they've got, as if that's where the promises finish. And so the way we're going to think about this is from a positive and negative uh, uh, points of view. See, in chapter 14, we find out about Caleb. We have been introduced to Caleb before. You may, you may know um, about Caleb, but I'm going to get Kat back up and she's going to read uh, Joshua 14, verse 6 to uh, 15 for us now because I want us to hear it very fresh as we talk about it. So uh, thanks, Kat. I'll bring this back over. Chapter 14, starting at verse 6. Now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kedonite, said to him, You know that the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised me, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses, while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kesanite, ever since because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Hebron used to be called Kiriath Arba, after Arba, who was the greatest man among the Anakites. Then the land had rest from war. Thanks, Kat. Caleb is such an interesting character for us to consider. Caleb and Joshua are very helpful for us. So who was Caleb? Well, let's remind ourselves, Caleb, if you remember... The people escaped um, slavery from Egypt, the great exodus. And as they went through the exodus, what we see, they went into uh, Mount Sinai. They got the Ten Commandments. While Moses was getting the Ten Commandments, the people thought, I know a good idea. Instead of uh, worshipping God, we'll make a golden calf and and do the exact thing that we shouldn't do as God's people. And so they were were there. And then what happened? As they come through, uh, they were near the promised land. They were at a place that we just heard, that Caleb just mentioned, a place called Kadesh Barnea. And there was 12, slot, uh, 12 uh, spies uh, who actually went into the land to check it out. Joshua and Caleb were two of them. This was, this was 45 years ago. Caleb's no spring chicken. He's 85 now. Right? And, and uh, they went into the land. And as they went into the land, what they saw was it was plentiful that it was worth it. But they also saw that there were some pretty big guys there. They were kind of seen as kind of like giants. They were, they were in, impressive. They were scary. And But Joshua and Caleb, and Caleb said, with God's help, of course we can take the land. He's going to give it to us. But tragically, the other 10 spies won over the people and convinced them that it was the wrong thing to do. And so they didn't go in. And so what did they do for the next 40 years? The squiggly line, if you remember. 
that's not coming up. There it is. They wandered around in the desert. They wandered around in the desert because they didn't follow what God wanted and Caleb knew they should have. And so the consequence was that whole generation could not go into the promised land. They all meet the only old people. I think it's interesting to think about. The only old people there, Joshua and Caleb. Everyone else are the young, younger generation. And where that arrow finishes, they crossed over. We saw the crossing over the River Jordan. We saw how they started to take down the cities. The job has been done. Caleb is 85 years old and they're confronted with these this big impressive uh, group that they need to continue to take on he could have easily gone you know what I've done my lot we're here now I want my inheritance let's move on these younger punks can go on and do it now I've done my work but he doesn't say that does he he presses on because he actually wants to do what God says all the way along. What did he say? What was the word that got mentioned a few times about what, how he thought about the Lord and how he followed him? Did anyone pick up on it? What word it was? Sorry? Wholeheartedly. Total devotion was Caleb's mindset. And so, verse 12, Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. What a man. He presses on. Why? Why would he press on? Because he he knows the promises of God. He doesn't forget them. He constantly reminds himself of them. The promises made to Abraham are written on on his heart and are in his mind and he never lets go of them. How more likely then do you think that God who keeps his promises and keeps his promises here is going to keep promises to us? We have a bigger and better promise. The promises that fulfills those promises. We have an eternal land and inheritance awaiting us. God will sustain us. Should we press on? But the challenge for us, when we consider Caleb in the wilderness versus us in Adelaide, where it's kind of comfortable and pleasant. How do we think about whether we should press on? Well, one of the ways we do it is that we consider the many great Caleb's that are in our church, and we're going to do that a little bit later. But it's also helpful to see the negative side because not everyone was Caleb in this community. Let me uh, take you to Joshua chapter 17. Um, I'm just going to read this little bit um, from chapter 17 verse 14 to 18. If you've got it in front of you. The people of Joshua said to... The people of Joseph said to Joshua... Why have you given us only one allotment and one portion for an inheritance? We are a numerous people and the Lord has blessed us abundantly. If you are so numerous, Joshua answered, and if the hill country of Ephraim is too small for you, go up into the forest and clear the land for yourselves there in the land of the Perizzites and the Rephites. The people of Joseph replied, the hill country is not enough for us. 
And all the Canaanites who live in the plain have chariots fitted with iron, both those in Beth Shan and its settlements and those in the valley of Jezreel. But Joshua said to the tribes of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, you are numerous and very powerful. You will not only have one allotment, but the forested hill country as well. Clear it, and its father's limits will be yours. Though the Canaanites have chariots fitted with iron, and though they are strong, you can drive them out. It's an intriguing one. Just to clarify, first of all, the tribe of Joshua um, uh, was broken into two. Um, so the tribes were Jacob's sons, and then from, jo- uh, from, from Joseph, because he was the this, this special one, uh, his two sons got tribes allotted to them, Manasseh and Ephraim. So that's how the break, breakdown happens because the tribe of Levi don't get land because they're the priests who do um, all the priestly work. So what we actually see, let's have a look at the screen, at how it's broken up. Now, can you see the big green bits on the screen? That's all the land given to Manasseh. And just under the bottom bit of Manasseh, you've got Ephraim. They got a fair bit of land, right? They got, they, got, they got blessed. And they said, why have you given us only one allotment and one portion for an inheritance? I think what we're seeing is that they're dissatisfied, they're grumbling. That they're unsatisfied with what they've been given by God and the blessings that they have and they're grumbling about it. It's, 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 a, it's an interesting thing to do when you've just been blessed in such a big way. But this idea of being unsatisfied with what you have and even what you have from God, it kind of seeps into our life, doesn't it? Because the world that we live in is a world of needing something more. Whereas I would be better off if this was what I had whether it be something about your house, about your income, a a job that you're more satisfied in, to a family in a way that you would prefer that's not in your current situation, to whatever it is, we are burdened with wanting more and more and more because that's the way our society interacts with us. And so it seeps into the Christian community as well. And yet the promises we have, the inheritance that we have been given, the land that is to come should be overwhelmingly satisfying to us as we wrestle with the now. We should not say to God, I know you've given me an internal inheritance, but why is this not working out for me and why haven't you blessed me enough now? But I want this blessing and you gave me this blessing now. I mean, we have an eternal inheritance so we need to press on i want to suggest and not grumble and that's why i want to take us to one peter because i want you to see in one peter why we should be like that i have one peter chapter one uh, verse one in front of you i'll give you a chance to get uh, to go there have I got it on the screen, Naomi? No, I didn't. That's right. The first, those three verses, three to four, I have. You can leave that there. That's fine. I'm going to read. I'm going to read before that and after it. But that's the key part that we're going to spend some time in. 
Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect exiles scattered throughout the province of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that proving the genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Can you see how the people rejoice in these chapters because of the land that they've got, or they should, and there should be no grumbling? We have been given an inheritance a new creation to come. And the way Peter describes it, can you see on either side of it, he says, praise be to God and in all this you greatly rejoice because you have been given such a great living hope. A living hope that we will sing about at the conclusion of our reflections on on what God has given us. We have new birth. We have in Jesus... A whole new life. It's a new life that has real living hope. It's not new birth that means you die again. It's new birth so that you can live forever with the resurrected Jesus. Who died and rose from the dead. We have hope because Jesus conquered the grave. And he conquered the grave in your place. And because he conquered the grave in your place and he's reigning now, you have an inheritance with him, the first to go before us. We receive an inheritance. And it's not an inheritance uh, that will fade. You may be hoping out for an inheritance. All the, all the kids with your parents who are nodding, that's a bit harsh, but... <laughs> Um, you may be hoping out for an inheritance, but whatever you get's going to disappear. But God is promising you an inheritance that lasts forever. And what do you get in that inheritance? No pain, no suffering, no anguish. You're completely transforming your new birth that you no longer sin. You have, you're in a land which is glorious. And above all of that, you're with God. Can you see how actually these chapters of this allotment of land pushes us to see the promises to Abraham all was all for God 
pointing us to where we're heading. And so, we think about the land in a far greater way than I think about the numbers 16, 13. We think about the land with great excitement and joy. And if you're here today as a follower of Jesus and you're ambivalent to that, your prayer today is to ask God to transform your heart to what you truly have been blessed in. And so we need to press on. And that's why Peter says, you rejoice greatly, but there's going to be some problems. He says in verse 6, though for now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that proven the genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even gold with chocolate inside it, as the kids saw, it, than, uh, greater worth than gold, which perishes even though through, uh, through refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Can you see how the challenge for us today is not to just get through a tough part of the Bible, but to consider how we are going to be like because we've been given such blessing from God? See, the challenge for us is to consider what do you want to be like? What do you need to do? See, if we thought, think about it like a spectrum, on one end you've got the tribe of Joseph, Manasseh and Ephraim and grumbling. You've got somewhere in the middle where you've got a bit of grumbling going on, but you'd also love a bit of the promises of God and you want to embrace them, or you're just full Caleb, full total devotion to God, wholeheartedly devoted to him. Are you going to press on? Now, the writer to the Hebrews wants people to press on by focusing their eyes on Jesus. And the way, the way that he does that near the end, he talks about all these cloud of great witnesses who have great faith in the Old Testament in chapter 11. And as he gets to the end of chapter 11, um, he, he then makes a conclusion. Let me just, uh, just go there uh, in chapter 12 uh, for you. That's why when we started youth group uh, a few years ago now, we called it Fix. Chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. We go forward and we fix our eyes on Jesus and there's all these great cloud of witnesses before us. But you know, we have a great cloud of witnesses amongst us. We should be that for each other. I could embarrass a few people, and I will. <laughs> but many of you wouldn't know some very dear people to me that I haven't spoken to for a while and I'm definitely going to be calling them this week to check in on them. But they were instrumental in Grove starting. On the core team from the beginning and unfortunately can no longer be with us because of ill health, Don and Jean Warren. They were in their, you know, in their 80s when we, when we started to, to think about planting the church and wanted to be part of it and on the core team to help make it happen, to be totally involved in it. Their whole life was a life of ministry, missionaries, being a pastor, 
teachers at Bible college, instrumental in getting King's School started. And in the, nearing the end, still wanted to press on and start another church. That is a great witness to us. And I will always remember them. There's many of you I could, I could go on about. I could, um, I could embarrass uh, Peter and Meredith. I could embarrass Peter because... And on one level, it's because I think he just likes uh, nagging me and making sure I do stuff and bugging me. But I don't think that's the main reason why he decided this year to, do, uh, to volunteer his time to help grow, keep going. It's because in such a tough and difficult year and being retired, you don't stop. You press on because of the great promises that we have. We should take hold and in ourselves think we don't have any problems that are too big. We can persevere. I was speaking to Colin and Jenny on um, Wednesday night at our, our Perinifa night, which was a great night, and I was saying about we need to step up as a church, maybe for the rest of this year, do a little bit more. Um, it, can we do more than we can to kind of replant the church and do things that maybe we're uncomfortable with if that's what's needed? And Jenny said, oh, I'm very comfortable in the kitchen in hospitality. But she talked about a time when she actually got out of the kitchen and went into the classroom to teach the kids and she felt very uncomfortable It's what was needed. Uh, she, was, she just was just talking and it was just in the conversation. I thought, that's exactly what we're seeing here. You press on. You don't do what's for you. I could go on and on with many great witnesses amongst us. How do you feel about you pressing on? What do you need to do? You see, Joseph, you could grumble. You could grumble about me, about someone else. You could grumble about decisions that are made. You could grumble about something that someone's done to you or what you want to do to someone. You could just grumble, but when we grumble, we're not thinking about the other person and pressing on, are we? Or we could look to Jesus. Who, when we remember that we're one in Christ, you can't grumble to someone when you're one in Christ with them. But it doesn't go together. You can't complain about someone and say we're united together. It doesn't work. And yet, grumbling is hard not to do and we probably all, at some point, have done it. Are you willing or unwilling to serve God? You see, to be willing is to say, if I can, I will, by God's help. That's being full, Caleb. Not, I could do it, but I don't think I'm up for it or I'm not good enough or I'll leave it to others. That's more Joseph. Which do you want to be like? Let's be um, clear first of all. There's no point deciding which you want to be like if you haven't decided that Jesus is your Lord and that you have new birth in him that he died for you and that you believe that and you trust in him. If you haven't made that decision, 
Your first act of pressing on is to decide that from now on you will, that you'll trust in Jesus, that you'll turn to him. And today can be the day where you commit to loving and serving him and it can be the day where you put your uh, flag to the mast and say, I am a follower of Jesus for the first time and then you press on. Don't press on trying to be a Caleb without doing that. That is a pointless life. But if you have done that, what do you need to do? You need to come before God and ask him to help you to be more willing. To give you greater resolve not to grumble. To press on when it all looks too hard. Not to consider, I'm not getting this out of, uh, out of it for me. But to consider, how can I press on for the glory of God and for others? We have a living hope. In your outline, there's four points to finish. They just help consolidate what I've just been saying on this spectrum. We need to remember his promises in all of life's circumstances. It is never, ever a good idea to not embrace the idea of remembering, to coming back to, to going over and over and over again. Hopefully in fresh ways. But not changing the promises. Not casting them in our own mind. But to come back to the land that we have been given into all eternity. We need to remember if we're going to be Caleb's that we need to understand what happens if we ignore his promises. If we decide to ignore that God wants us to live for him. That we we get soft on following Jesus that we actually don't want to trust in him, that if we made the decision to go our own way, there is no eternal land. We need to remember that we don't fall into the trap of getting the time of God's promises wrong. God does indeed bless us now. In many ways, the fact that we are here as brothers and sisters, the fact that we in some ways are going through our own kind of land thing as a church, aren't we, as we move to another premises and we have that. God has already blessed us that that we're going to be able to move and not wonder where can we actually meet. We have been blessed as a church. You have been blessed in your life, even with all your struggles. But if you think those promises that God in some way has promised us as a church that that space on the senior campus is definitely ours and it's guaranteed 100% and it's in the scriptures, then that's over-realizing the blessings that God's given us. The certain blessings, the certain promises are of our eternal home. And we praise God when he in his great mercy blesses us in all sorts of ways now not expecting them, not kind of thinking in the back of our minds, yeah, but I want this too. We look for our eternal home. To be full, Caleb, we enjoy his promises and the hope they give. If you're willing and you can, no matter what, you want to serve God. I'm going to pray 
and then we're going to sing boldly about the living hope we have. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks for these amazing chapters which point out to how much you care about us having uh, a home with you. Help us to be full, Caleb. Amen.